Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I have some good news for you. The hottest take. It's back. Oh, yeah. Monday through Thursday, four times a week, you hear from me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, Mallory Rubin, Wazdeen Lambrey, Van Lathan, Julie Lippman, many other ringer staffers. You get one take, you got to defend it to the death. Sports takes, pop culture takes, food takes, airplane takes. Oh, yeah. It's coming back. First episode drops August 29th. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. to the Prestige TV podcast feed. I'm Joanna Robinson, and this is a very special post-finale reaction episode on the Prestige feed with the writer and director of every episode of White Lotus. It is Mike White. Mike White is here today to talk to us very generously and at length on the Monday morning after the finale aired about some of the real-life inspirations for the season, uh, some of the things that landed exactly how he wanted them to, and also to talk a little bit about some of your fan theories. So let's go now to my conversation with Mike White. Uh, Mike White, thank you so much for joining us. I want to start by asking you a, a director question. I have a ton of writer questions for you, but um, I'm very curious about the, the final shootout with Tanya, Jennifer Coolidge, and the way in which you chose to keep the camera on her the whole time. So I'm wondering if you could talk about, break down those decisions for us. Oh, uh, well, I don't, yeah, I, I was just thinking like, I mean, my biggest fear of that whole thing was going to be like, you know, Tanya gets a gun. Like the, the campiness would be just too much, even for me. Like I have, I have a tolerance for a little camp, but like, so I was just like, how do we keep this feeling, you know, not like some goofy, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I was just like, I was like, I just feel like we stay with her panic and her fear and her, her pain or like her, like the terror of it. Like it would, it still would feel like the show in a way. And the more it became like a shoot 'em up, you know, like, and like seeing, you know, and then when it actually came together, I liked it just because it felt a little more like, you know, when you hear all the things that are going on, but it's off camera and you're just staying with her, like, you know, crazy face. Uh, I just felt it had, it created its own sort of, uh, suspense, I guess. And so I, you know, maybe it's also because I'm just, you know, I'm not a, experienced director with like you know an action gun sequence and was just like let's just play to my strengths as well so i'm not uh show we have people like you know blood splattering and you know all that 
No, I thought it was really effective. And Jennifer is so good uh, in that whole, I mean, throughout, but in that whole sequence. Um, I want to ask you, before the season debuted, I was reading an interview you gave, I think it was to The Guardian, where you were talking about which character you identify with most. And you you picked Tom Hollander's character, Quentin. Um, and I did. Where was this? <laughs> in The Guardian. Um, oh, okay. And, uh, you know, I've heard you talk about Armand in season one. So I was just curious, you know, what we should think about these characters you identify with dying at the end of your seasons of television. <laughs> well, the reason I said I, I relate to Quentin is because I feel like I was doing to Jennifer what Quentin was doing to Tanya, which is like, I was like, I wanted to bring her to Italy. I'm going to like, I, and, and like, it was like, Jennifer, you know, what kind of things do you want to do when you, and it's like, it, like, she's like, Oh, it'd be just great to be on a Vespa and like guys trying to light. I mean, literally some of the dialogue <laughs> that we used in the show. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I was like, I want her to have this great send off, you know what I mean? But all, in, the, in my head, I'm always like heading to like, you know, to kill her. And so, so it was like, let's give her this bravura like storyline. She gets to do all these fun things in Italy and wear cool clothes and blah, blah, blah. But then also like, there's also a part of me that where I'm torturing her. Like I, like I always put her, like she has seasickness and she doesn't like to be on boats. And like, I've now written two big, like, like both in first season and second season, she's been on a boat. Like there's just times <laughs> where I'm just like, am I like, I, am I like her, like her guardian angel or am I her little devil? Like there's times where it's like, I just, there's is a little bit of like, and then it kind of speaks to this whole, like, I think, you know, there's a gay, uh, which I'm, I'm actually trying to get at a little bit with the, with the storyline in the show, but like gay men's infatuations with certain kinds of women and like why those women and what, and that there, I think there's a, like a little bit of sadism in it. It's like, they, they really appreciate women, but then they also, you know, the, you know, like the women that are classic, you know divas for gay guys you know like you know the judy gar it's like they also like to see them suffer and in a and you know there's a pleasure to watching like women's pain in, in if it's done in the right way i think for gay guys so it was just like and so you know i just was like you know, the idea of like a woman who's like, you know, disappointed in love and like then she finds these great gay guys and it's like they're gonna like She's going to like have this, you know, Stella gets her groove back, you know, and then, <laughs> but they really are there to like torture her. So anyway, so I, 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 uh, yeah, it makes me sound like I am diabolical. Maybe I am, but I, but it's really more, it just felt like it was like, you know, they said, which character you relate to? I was like, well, I mean, as I'm, as a director, like I'm like, you know, setting up all this whole thing and like, it feels like Quentin was doing that too, which was like, kind of like, you know, he probably feels bad about, you know, killing her. So he's going to like justify it by giving her, you know, a big party and she's going to get laid. And then like, you know what I mean? Like have her, have her, you know, like a, a great final hurrah. And so I was doing the same thing. I love that. I feel like the moment and Tom Hollander is so good, but I feel like the moment that juxtaposition of appreciation and I don't know, like 
patronizing almost comes in the opera sequence, right? Where she's surrounded by these men who are rolling their eyes at her, but also sharing this genuine emotional connection with Quentin as they're watching Madame Butterfly. And that like, there's, it feels like there's that duality throughout the season where two things can be true. Like Lucia can be scamming Albie, but also kind of like Albie at the same time. Like what, how much do you see that being an important part of the characters you want to give us is this two things, two conflicting things can be true at one time, you know? I mean, if I, I, I mean, to be honest, I feel like that is maybe the best way to describe like what I usually go for all the time. <laughs> I, I feel like I, that's, I, that's what I like in a character. And I like, you know, I like that sense of, uh, you like them, but do you like them? Like, are they, are they, yeah. Like, uh, you know, having mixed complex feelings about the characters is my, I guess, I guess people would say that that is a defining characteristic of, of what I do. And I don't, and I, I don't know. And it's not conscious, but like, yeah, over time, I just, if I, if it feels too like likable or too straightforward or, you know, it doesn't have, so, you know, it's like, I, it feels like something's missing for me. So, and at the same time, it's like, if it's too, if it's too, you know, biting or too gnarly, it, it feels wrong too. It has to have some sweet in there, you know? So it's like, uh, so yeah, it's, it's just, you know, like whatever you're a chef, you want to, you want it a little bit, you know, like you want to, you know, it's like you, 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 yeah, you want a taste, a complex taste, I guess. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because this is, as you said, and everyone has said the, you know, the sort of sex season of white Lotus, the, I think you called it a bedroom farce with teeth, which I loved. Um, I wanted to ask you about this idea of transactional sex, sex. uh, that's not just in the Mia and Lucia storyline, but, you know, in Cameron and Daphne's relationship all over the place, there's this idea of transactional relationships. And is there a way in which those relationships are more honest than, you know, the, the sex that we see as romantic or does romantic love even exist in the white Lotus universe? I guess is my question. Um, this is a good question. Uh, you know, I, I'm somebody, it is hard for me to, yeah, I, I do think that like, I guess, you know, I grew up not to get too personal, but like witnessing women having very, um, like having their hearts broken a lot over and over. And like in a, in a, in, 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 in the case of like someone very close to me, it was like debilitating, you know what I mean? Where it was just like, and and, um, well, I'll just tell you, like my, my, my dad was gay. He was married to my mom and then they divorced and my mom couldn't, you know, she was so, um, distraught and devastated and, 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 she, and then realized that her whole, the real whole relationship was like, a, a, you know, like it wasn't what she thought it was, you know what I mean? And like, yeah. and so like, I've just been very, I'm kind of an anti-romantic in the sense of like, don't give away your power. Like, don't like, it's like, it's good to love someone and, and attachment is inevitable, but like, there's a lot of mythologizing around romance and that is very, that c- can really work against you. And that is, you know, yeah, you're living in a, you know, it's like, uh, it's, you know, like white Lotus gets into self-created problems, like, like 
these people are creating problems for themselves. You know what I mean? Right. They don't really have problems. And to me, romance is the, you know, the definition of self-created problems. You know what I mean? You're like, you've decided to give up your, the power of your, your self narrative to this idea of, you know, like some kind of, you know, and, and maybe that's cynical, but like I do, you know, and then it does make you go like, you know, there's other ways to, engage sexually and and with other people you know transactional you know obviously there's it's like i'm not i'm this isn't a pro transactional sex show but i do but but you know like what i like about me and lucia is that they they know what they want they go and they get it and 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 they're not they're not like and 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 you know you compare that with tanya where she's living you know she's so obsessive about you know like uh, Greg and and also she just wants to like in a way it's almost like and I know women like this where they like to finger the wound you know what I mean like they like to like they like Mm -hmm. to live in the pain of it you know what I mean and and um I find that yeah they're tragic people and that's why they have a tragic I mean in this case she has a tragic ending but I think that cynicism, you know, you, you mentioned the various ingredients you want to put in this particular recipe. And I think that like the cynicism of some of that aspect of White Lotus is balanced with, I find the me and Lucia friendship, relationship, partnership to be completely pure and beautiful. And I was wondering if you could talk about the decision to end on them, that, that they would be the end of this particular story. Yeah, that kind of friendship, I believe. Like, I mean, yeah, I like them because they know what they want and they're also there to help each other. They're boosting each other. They're supporting each other. They can lean on each other. And, you know, then you compare that to like Tanya and Portia where there's all of this like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, blame and like projection and, and you know, like, and also they live in this kind of haze of, of their own, like, what do they want? And, you know, and so, uh, so yeah, I felt like it's like, you know, you have Tanya die and then, you know, I felt like, well, let's give Portia a little hope, but then like me and Lucia, like, you know, like they're, yeah, in a way they like, you know, it's hard because they're sex workers. So like, it feels like it's really about, you know, like if people take it literally, it's like, go out and, you know, like (laughs) work as a sex worker, like, which is not really what I'm saying, but it's just like, what I, what I do appreciate about them is like, they, they have goals, they know what they want. They're there to like, you know, they're there to write their own story. And that's that, I guess that's my attitude with like, when it comes to like romance and stuff where it's just like, you know, it's like, it's good to, you know, love people and it's good to, you know, whatever you, we have to navigate sex and everything. And, but at the same time, keep writing your story. Don't, don't get, don't, don't, don't get confused. You know what I mean? Don't, don't end up like, uh, going down some wormhole was in some romance and then, and then losing your way for yourself, you know? So is that, I mean, that feels like the narrative we're supposed to hold on to for someone like Daphne, who has, you know, staunchly decided that she's not the victim in this story, that 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 Cameron can get up to whatever he gets up to, but she's like, I'm taking control of what I feel like I can control in this. And she has that great line about, you know, you don't need to know everything about someone to love them. And there also seems to be, I mean, I love that this season ends with Ethan and Harper being a little bit more Cameron and Daphne uh, or much more Cameron and Daphne than than they were than when they started. But like, is this about 
contentment and dishonesty? Is it about just being like keeping those walls up a little bit? And so finding some safety inside of a relationship because like Ethan and Harper are constantly saying to each other, Oh, I never lie to you. I'm always telling the truth. I'm always telling the truth. And then they find this happiness in this other space, or is that a fleeting happiness? What do you think? I, you know, I, I do kind of agree with Daphne. I mean, I, it's a, you know, it's colored by the fact that her husband is such a, such a like cat, you know I mean? Yeah. So, and he's just, you know, he's, I mean, he's pretty extreme. So like, you know, but obviously she's made some kind of, you know, internal bargain that she uh, is okay with. So, but, but I, and, and to me, it's just like, I just think in general, we create the narratives of our relationships. We decide what, like, you know, it's like, it's like we, we decide to put what importance on fidelity. We, you know, if we've been, you know, betray, you know, like it's, we put, we, 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 we tell the story of our, our relationships and, and, and Daphne just has a very strong sense of how she's going to tell the narrative of her relationship. And, and, and I like that part of her, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, obviously it's, it is complex. Cause it's like, it does feel like it's, you know, it's not a relationship. I would want, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be like in that, you know, necessarily in that situation that she's yeah. in, but like, but I do feel like it's like, if you're going to be, you know, it's like get out of that relationship or if you're going to be in the relationship, like figure out how to make, you know, feel good about it. And that's what she's doing. You know what I mean? So it's like, he can go and be like the biggest, like, you know, sleaze, but she's like, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to figure out a way to make that feel not painful for me. And so I, I guess I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I, this conversation is making me realize something about myself. Uh, but I, <laughs> but I, it's like, I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm not interested in being in pain. Like I don't like, like I'm, I, I don't like pain. I don't like to be yeah. sad. And I also don't like to think of my life in sad ways. I want to feel like it's, you know, so, so I, I, so I, I like, I do like characters that are like me and Lucia, like I, you know, and then Daphne as well. It's just like, you know, and then the uh, these uh, you know like the the Porsche is the opposite where she's just like I just want to be fulfilled. She's like it's like she's waiting for something to come along and like make her whole, as mm. opposed to like seeing that she's the you know she's the she can create her own story, whatever. So uh, and then as far as what you're asking about Ethan and Harper, I also think that that's true too. Is that sometimes you know it's like I I find in rela- certain relationships. And especially when I was younger, I, you know, it was like that this obsessive desire to feel like I'm totally in lockstep with my partner or like, and that, that, you know, there's really no, uh, you know, gray area of what I know, you know, like, it's just like this feeling of like possession of just the, the truth of their, their life and what they do and like their, and their desire and all that stuff. And that I feel like that is both like a futile and, uh, endeavor because you know you don't really even know yourself let alone fully know somebody else yeah. but then also like this feeling that like you know if somebody has desire outside of their desire you know it's, it's not like i'm necessarily saying i don't know if relationship i mean i'm not a relationship expert for sure for sure but like <laughs> i feel like people you know it's like i do think that uh so i'm not saying like open relationships are healthier than none of it but i do i do think the attitude of just like you know maybe certain things you can let it go you know like it's maybe 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 you could live in the mystery of something and it isn't 
you know, that's okay. You know, so I, I, I like that as an, as, as an idea for maybe something true about relationships, I guess. I, I want to ask you about sort of, sort of the flip side of that in this season, which is you mentioned Portia and she has this sort of room with a view fantasy that she's going to find some Italian man to throw on her bed or something like that. And you've got Bert's fantasy of this Sicilian homecoming. These, these fantasies, you've got, of course, Tanya's Monica Vitti fantasy, these fantasies that end up having their own teeth to them that are that are dangerous. And, and I was wondering, you know, obviously you've mentioned Fantasy Island a million times as sort of this analog for this series that you're doing, but what are you trying to say about the nature of fantasy in this season of television? Well, definitely the fantasies always are, you know, you don't, you know, the pressure to live up to the fantasy is a source of pain and, and disappointment. That's, you know, a truism. And also when you're as a dramatist, <laughs> it's just, it's so ripe to like, you know, if you, if you put Jennifer Coolidge on the back of the vest, but yeah, there's going to be a bug flying. You know, like, it's like, you can't be just, uh, you know, perfect day, you know? Right. So, uh, the, that I'm just, you know, it's just like, uh, I, I just can't. Yeah. It's like they go to, if they go to, you know, they want to have the homecoming and, you know, have, have like, you know, I, you know, to me, Bert, the idea that like, you know, he's probably pissed off women his whole life but still lives in this bubble of like, you know, my wife loved me and I loved her and, you know, everything's great. And, blah, blah. and then he's, you know, he thinks he's going to like, you know, have this family reunion. And that's like, and these, you know, even, even women who don't even know him from across, across the world are angry about something. <laughs> and they're like, he's never going to have, yeah, he's it, like that. It undermines this, like this, like yeah delusion. He's trying to keep, keep together it's just fun. It's just fun to like, yes, yeah, set people, set characters up to have their, you know, their bubbles burst. Apple card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple card with Apple pay purchases and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think it's so interesting, you know, when you refer to season one's theme of class bumping up against each other. You've got, 
you know, the working class, the, the employees of the hotel versus the guests. In this season, you introduced this sort of intermediary level, which is the pretender class. And, um, you know, your, your scammers or your, your Quintins who are Palazzo rich, cash poor, stuff like that. And I was wondering if you could talk about what, what that pretender class, uh, how, why that interests you? Well, it's just funny. Cause it's like you, <laughs> you know, I, as I've gotten more successful and I've been exposed to, you know, cause I'm from very like, I don't know, like my family is, yeah, we're, there's no money in my family and, and, uh, and, you know, but like, as I've gotten more successful and I've met more success, you realize how many rich people are poor, you know what I mean? Like just cause of how they, li- how they live. And like, it's like, and you go like, you know, when you're young, you're like, God, if I made X amount of money, I would be set forever. Right. And then, and it's like, and I try to like, you know, I try to live within, you know, that, but I, you know, obviously as you get, whatever, I, but like, but I, but I've seen people who like have way more money than me and are like, yeah, like are just, you know, it's like, because I don't know, you know, it's like, yeah, which just feels like, you know, yeah. For white Lotus, it just feels like, it's like, it just feels like it's like, you know, that rich people often are just, it's just like you're surprised when you like meet movie stars and they're the most star fuckery people you you're like okay so you know what i mean it's like i don't know like you, i guess if you if you're you value money then you know it's like you you can go really you can go extreme you know you can really value yeah materialism and it, it just feels like that feels like a a perfect villain for white lotus i promised a friend of mine i would ask uh you this question because this is a, a theory of hers which is that or i'll ask you this how is is cameron broke is Cameron one of those rich broke guys what do you think uh I, I think he probably does well I don't I mean I know that there's been speculation online that he's he, like that that maybe that was going to be one of the mysteries that one of the things that gets revealed yeah uh no I, I think he's you know he's he, he's just you know like a you know I think he is you know I think it's true that like Ethan now you know it's just, he sees him as a bag of money that he can um he can you know get in on that, you know, it's like, and so I think he's just ambitious and is probably good at his job, which is like trying to get people's money to invest with him. So he can have some of their money. (laughs) So, yeah. So like, but I, I think my sense is he probably is successful because he's one of those guys that seems like he would be successful. You mentioned, so you're aware of like online fan theories and I've talked to some TV creators who Fan theories stress them out because they don't want to like, they don't want to, they don't want anyone to accurately guess, but they don't also don't want people to have overblown false expectations of what, what a, how a season might wrap up, something like that. You've sort of backwards stumbled into being a creator of a theory show because you've put these dead bodies in here as uh, you talked about a way to hook things in. And now you're, White Lotus is a theory show on top of a comedy of manners or a sex farce or whatever you want to call it. Um, do fan theories stress you out? Do you enjoy them? What do you think about them? <laughs> well, this last week was just crazy. I mean, I've just never experienced anything like it as far as just like realizing how many things people, I mean, how they were crowdsourcing the 
<laughs> the the um, clues to what's going to happen. And yeah, obviously I don't come into it thinking, I mean, there, this one does have a, yeah, there's like, a, you know, there's hijinks, like there's a real, like, you know, there is a plot of it with, with the Jennifer storyline. I mean, what was funny is that like people are so far ahead of it that like by the, you know, like what I found amusing was like, well, it's not going to be Tawny because because that's just too, at this point, it's too obvious. And like, <laughs> I was like, and you know, me, when I'm writing it, I'm like, is this going to be too, like, like, do I need to, you know, I, I was thinking the opposite where I was like, are people going to be able to put this all together? I'm like, not only they put it together, they're like way ahead of me. So like, um, I think that, that's something you know it's i think the internet allows that because i think you know in another era like even when i was still writing like you know you didn't have this kind of crowdsourcing and so yeah. you have a lot of people who are like wait what is that what was that picture who are those people should she, you know like it's like an, you know, like we even had a note from hbo it was like should she pick it up and be like greg so like the, the <laughs> And I'm right. like, I don't know. I think that'll be okay. But like, I, I, it's like, I actually suffer from that a little bit. Where it's like, is this too unclear? And then like, you realize like, no, the, you know, they're, everyone's like talking online and they're, they've already figured it all out. But I, it doesn't stress me out. It's funny. It's just weird for me because it's just like, you know, when you start out trying to be a writer, it's like, you're telling people your dream. And, you know, like, when you, like in real life, when you tell someone their your dream, everyone's like, could care less. Nobody wants to know your dream. Like, it's like, you're like, it's just, you're like, you see the eyes fluttering back. And then like, right. in the, and then in this case, it's like, I have this dream, like Tanya. And like, then you have the whole world or it feels like everybody where you're like, wait, what happened? So in the dream, you went to the thing and she goes, and you're like, uh, that it's, it's like, it's inspired so much, um, you know, emotion and people are so incited. I mean, it's so flat. I mean, it's flattering, but it's also like, I'm like, I don't even understand. You know, I can't say that I, to think that I, that would actually happen is just so outside of anything I would have ever expected. So I, I mean, I like it, but, it, but yeah, I, I was, I'm, I am stupefied is all I can say. Well, as you're calibrating sort of how obvious or unobvious to make, uh, like a murder plot seem, um, how much fun then are you having with, red herrings like when you have Cameron and Ethan have their fight in the water you know yeah. what I mean and you're actively playing with audience expectation there like what is what is that like in your writing process I mean that's it's fun and I also um you know I my feeling was I thought it would be yeah it's it's you know like when Quentin is like watching Portia and and Jacket in the in their car you know it's like to me I'm like at that point like we know they're it's they're evil gays. They're trying to get her money. Like I, I just it's like to me it was like I I didn't really realize it was like it's the same as the first season. Where I was like I didn't really realize so much how much like energy was put to like who was going to die and like mm -hmm. but I but and I and I didn't think it was gonna be obvious that Tanya has died. But like I felt like that was clear that like that was where that was headed. And so it was more like to me in my mind it was like a an opera where it's like you know, like this woman is, it's like, and you, you, you kind of almost know the writing is on the wall, but just watching it unfold and, and her as this like, yeah, tragic opera heroine, um, that there's just a pleasure in watching the inexorable fate, uh, you know, unfold. So, um, but yeah, the, that it was seen so much as this mystery. And I think it was just, everybody was overthinking. <laughs> like, I just, I, you know, it's like, like 95% of the, 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 um, theories people were positing. I was like, 
that would be a shocker, but like, there's no way that would feel earned or justified right. in this right. story. Like there's yeah. no way, like we, <laughs> if I did that, it would be, it would be a shocker, but it wouldn't be a satisfying conclusion. I don't think, you know, because it right. would just be like if Daphne kills, like, like there was like lots where it was like Daphne is the super village did a kill, like, you know, Cameron and either, I don't know. Someone was like, that is a totally different show. Like it's not this show. <laughs> right. I don't know. I feel like it's a maybe interesting show, but it's not my show. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, as a dramatist, I would not know how to pull that off. That's for sure. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned um, your dad coming out and I was wondering, um, seeing some of that storyline in Valentina's journey here, like discovering her or at least embracing her own sexuality like later in life. And then also, you know, you've talked about the fact that you took a sort of heritage trip with your dad. So looking at the DeGrasso family and their storyline and how that, and I'm wondering how much are you intentionally actively sort of refracting some of that really core relationship for yourself between you and your dad into this season of television. You know, I, 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 as, as a writer, I think it's fun to try to like create new voices that are not me and, and, and create this constellation of different voices that are totally not me, but like, but then I also feel like the only way I can really do that is also to for them to be me <laughs> so like I have to have some kind of like I, I mean obviously it's like I I need to feel like I get it like I get what they're you know they're they're you know so I do think that I I am drawing a lot on personal stuff because I feel like then it feels more um at least I know I then I can access it I know how to talk about it with actors I know how to you know find whatever but um so yeah I I, I you know like and then certainly I went on this trip with my dad and it just felt so inspiring to me as far as like something that was ripe with as like somebody in my, you know, middle age, like it was like, you know, having an older father who's, uh, you know, he's, you know, uh, and dealing with mortality and stuff. It just felt like that would be worth considering putting in the show, steal it from life. <laughs> steal from the best yourself. Um, <laughs> Since you're aware of online fan theories, are you aware of this sort of viral uh, TikTok video about this moment from Survivor and people identifying it as the genesis for White Lotus? You mean when Angelita asked for her jacket? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot say that that is the, the genesis of White Lotus, but um, that was one of the great moments of my life. <laughs> for sure. Um, I was, I was sort of refreshing myself on this so-called jacket gate from that season of Survivor. And there's this quote from Natalie, the the owner of the jacket in, the, yes. in, in THR, where she says something about, she's talking about the gameplay and she says, Mike didn't lead anything the entire time we were out there. And I'm curious if you feel like that's true, or are you the kind of person who is good at leading while not seeming to lead something on a game like Survivor? <laughs> Uh, are you trying to are you trying to bring back the the Natalie versus Mike White beef? Uh, no, 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 beef. no, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, <laughs> kidding, 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 kidding. Uh, like you know, Natalie, uh yes, I don't I think at that point in the game when she was still in it, I had been in trouble. Like uh people were had caught me looking for an idol. So like I I I knew that in order to um 
I had to recalibrate my game. And so that the way to do that was just like, I'm just here to have fun. Like, I'm just like, I, I, I became, a, I, I intentionally became, a, I'm not a power player. I'm not, I'm like, you know, like nothing to see here, you know, like, so that was a strategy. So I think she, she saw that as that's who I am. And that's not really who I am. Cause I do, I'm obviously, I do like, I do like to be in charge, but I'm also somebody who, when I am in charge, I don't like to, like Natalie is somebody who does not stay. Is she, is she like strength is something that she needs to project. She does not want to look weak. She, she does it all day long. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, so like for her, like my style, she doesn't even see it as, yeah, she doesn't see it as leadership or whatever. She just sees it as like, I'm a weird, I don't know. He's probably just a weirdo. He's just like, but so she, it's just, it's like a dog whistle. She's just not here. She doesn't hear. She's just, she, she likes expression of strength. And, and that's just not something that I do even when I am in charge where I'm just like, you know, standing on the ceremony of being, you know, having a position over people, power over people. I'm curious. I think it's so fascinating to learn that you got the idea of the theme of this season when you location scouted um, in Sicily, that that this had to be a sex sort of based season. And I'm curious, that's such an interesting way to crack a season of television. And I'm curious if you feel like at this point, White Lotus was never intended to be a long series or a franchise, but if you do you feel like you have a White Lotus process or do you feel like you want your process to be different every season for however long you want to do this? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like, uh, I think the show needs to, uh, not start to feel like a formula. Like I, so I, I just, I mean, and also that it goes against my own, like, you know, ethos or my own writerly intents is to like, you know, like I'm not, I, 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 the problem, the reason I was, it's been hard for me to work in TV is because I'm not somebody who just wants to, um, I mean, I like to blow things out. You know what I mean? I don't want to just maintain, you know, like I don't like returning all the characters to a stat, like a status of, you know what I mean? I, I like it. Um, and also I just like uh, different tones, different kinds of, you know, it's like, it's, I, I want it to feel like creatively fresh for me. And so, and what I love about this thing and why I feel so lucky that like, white lotus people are watching this and that hbo mm-hmm. like now like is into it or whatever is that i feel like it's really just incumbent on me to make it cool like it's like it's it's like it's it can be any it can there's so many things it can be and so like i just need to yeah so like i want to i want to live up to the the yeah the you know it's like if i have this much creative freedom i i want to like yeah i don't want to I, I, I want it to be inspired and feel fresh. So like, it's like, you know, obviously there's just an element, which is like maybe a week at a hotel or something, but beyond that, like it could be so many things. And so I, so yeah. And also going to a new place and getting inspired by a new place is just so, yeah, just so cool and fun. And this is my dream. This is my dream. Cause I'm kind of like, it's like, part of me is like, I, I wanted to be a travel writer too. And, and like, so you know, like to go somewhere new and travel. Like I'm not in some, you know, like sound stage in Burbank or something. I'm just like, this is like, yeah. So like, like the the fact that we're like now planning a list, like scouting trip and like Asia and these countries. I'm just like, this is, I'm, I'm just like, yes, this is, this is, this is, this is the perfect gig for me. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, it may not be for everybody, but it's just like, I'm so, yeah, I don't, I don't, that wasn't necessarily a question, but like, yes, the answer, like, uh, I feel like it's like, I, you know, like, yeah, then now the pressure's on, especially cause like, I don't know, people keep, I don't know. Like I thought, I, I, I never thought we would get the reaction that we got for the first, I, I, I guess I, I, you know, I, I just don't expect, I mean, I'm just used to like, making things and nobody shows up. I can't even get my own family to watch it. You know, like I couldn't get my <laughs> own family to watch Enlightened. You know what I mean? Like, so, so I, so, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm shocked by the amount of interest there is in the show. Um, and especially this season was even more than last season, which is like, uh, so like, I'm like, <laughs> can I write this kind of thing? Like, can I keep writing characters and situations that will get the, this kind of attention? And, but I, I realized that like, I can't look at it even in that, in those terms, I just need to like, not try to chase that. Like, I just think that, and I didn't do that this last time in my head. So mm-hmm. it's just like, I just feel like it's, um, it would just be, I, I just wanted to just feel fresh. I just want, you know, like, and, and that's really more what I want than it to be juicy or like, you know, have a, tons of people, you know, coming up with theories online or whatever. <laughs> Um, well, I'm curious is, so you haven't, you know, that you want to set this in Asia. You haven't gone on your location scouting trip quite yet, but I'm curious, you mentioned this idea of Eastern religion is something you're interested in. I was wondering if you could expand on that, like why that subject is of particular interest to you. Well, I just think we just did sex and I'm like thinking, oh, we're going to be in the E and like, I mean, then it could change. So I don't know, but like, it's just the idea, the idea, like, it's like, well, that maybe, you know, I do think themes are helpful for this show because what is it really? I mean, it, like a theme <laughs> helps, like, I don't know, organize the ideas and it just makes it from just being situational stories of, you know, whatever. So like, you know, like having an organizing thing around a theme. So like I, you know, in this, in this, you know, so it just feels like maybe we do something that's a little more, um, I don't know, uh, s- celestial than the, you know, carnal desires, the horniness of season two. Um, my last question for you, um, though we'll, we'll miss the horniness, but my last question for you <laughs> is, um, is there a moment from this season when you were putting it all together, you're like, oh, I'm not sure this is going to play exactly how, I mean, you already talked about the, the shootout scene, but like a moment where you're like, I'm not sure this is going to play or land exactly how I wanted to. And then it landed perfectly and everyone got exactly from it what you wanted. And you were like, yes, I did it. Is there a, is there a victory lap <laughs> moment for you this season? <laughs> That's such a funny. Uh, I, you know, the truth was when we saw like the the final episode that aired yesterday. I have this, you know, this incredibly talented editor, John Valerio, and he put the editor's cut of that episode together and showed it to me, and I was like. Because at the time, you know, our schedule was so gnarly because we we'd eaten into a month of our post because of COVID and HBO really wanted us to make our date because it, we were after House of the Dragon and they didn't want nothing to be after no House of the Dragon. Yeah. So they yeah. didn't. So they were just like, just get a, just please just get it out there. And so I was just so, you know, there's no opportunity for any additional photography. Like there's, I was just like, I was just like this. But if this doesn't work, I don't. So like when I saw it, I was like. This kind of work, like all these like big swings that we took. I, I like you know with uh, Tanya's storyline and the couples and the fight and blah, blah, blah. it was like there's a lot of it's like this is a much more operatic story than I'm used to. I kind of live in a more kind of you know lo-fi modulated uh, you know space, yeah. and so 
So when it was like, I was like, oh my God, I was like, I was like kind of riveted with the story. I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is, this is actually, we can show this to people. This will be okay. Like, yeah. So I, you know, that's not a specific moment, but like, I just, I was, I, you know, I, the fact that like some of these stories kind of landed, like, you know, like the moment in the end, like, well, here's one moment, but like the moment with the couples at the very end in the dinner and Cameron makes the toast and he's like, and there were so many conversations, like, why would they sit with them? Like the actors were like, confused. I was just like, I don't know. I just feel like we need to have one last thing with them, but they all have to sit there together. And I was like watching it. And there's this moment where he's like, and Harper, I'm really, you know, this is, and Theo really helped like sell all of this, but like, he's like, and Harper, it's really been great to get to know you properly. And like, you see, you know, Aubrey's reaction to that. She's like, what the fuck this guy <laughs> and so i don't know like that was like one moment where i was like we almost bailed on that doing that whole scene but like i was you know like i'm i'm happy that it's there because it's i mean it, it it begs belief maybe but it is still like a you know it's a cinematic moment that is just fun excellent well thank you so much for the chat i really appreciate it oh cool thanks for talking about the show yeah, yeah, of course. Have a great day. And and then maybe there'll still be horniness next to this. Yeah, yeah, horniness plus death. <laughs> what is death if not horniness? Yeah, I don't know. Something. Exactly. All right. All right, thanks. Bye. All right, bye. <laughs> All right, so thanks so much to Mike White for that conversation. The Pressy TV podcast feed will be filled with a number of other shows. Um, we've got a bunch coming up. I know that in the new year, we're going to start on The Last of Us. Um, we might have, you might hear from me again for the end of the year, but uh, if you don't, it's been a pleasure spending 2022 with you all. Thanks as always to the incredible Sasha Ashel for uh, editing this episode. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs>